Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever Dog Rose and Jamie are two best friends And they love sex and the city And they couldn't help but wonder Do you love it too? Carrie, Miranda, Samantha, Charlotte, Cosmos, So many dudes. Every single dude All the dudes And we couldn't help but wonder With Jamie Lee and Rose Cerno. I'm Jamie Lee. And I'm Rose Cerno. And this is Couldn't Help But Wonder. Oh, I love that one. Uh, a podcast where we talk about sex and city and how it relates to us. us. Hi, baby. Hi. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. How are you? I'm good. It was fun bumping into you and Dan. Oh, yes. We had a little bit of a run in at one of our favorite neighborhood restaurants, All Time. Shout out. Shout out to All Time. Also, Jamie ordered this really delicious thing and recommended uh, I get it. And did then you I get didn't it? get it. And then I tried my friends who got it, and it was truly the superior dish. It is kind of the reason that I eat there. I think everything there is good. Um, I would say that that place is quite expensive rice. yeah so i think that if you're going to do an all-time you might as well go for sort of like their signature dishes because that makes it feel a little more worth it and yeah the crispy rice bowl is incredible and i add pork to it and it makes it it does really feel a little special. dangerous to get like crispy asian rice for like brunch yeah but i think because it, it actually doesn't have that much rice it's mostly vegetables and two eggs and then they give you the option of adding pork and so it's actually quite like protein heavy i mean that's for a rice bowl a bit of a denial but you know whatever helps you sleep I'm at telling night you i always will because i've never been a big rice bowl person because i just i feel like they always just dump a lot of rice in there and then there's like here's like a carrot see if you can find the e- fish exactly so i feel like with that one they actually have like a pretty good ratio of like vegetables and protein to rice Okay, so everyone who doesn't live in L.A., which is probably everyone, I hope this was useful to you. Yeah, if you come to L.A., go to All Time. Get it's, the crispy rice, bitch. Yeah, it's so good. Um, who are you this week? Gal, I think this week I was a carry. Okay. Um, I've started to go on some dates with a very nice, emotionally available, thoughtful, kind, considerate guy. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like kind of weirded out about it because I'm just so not used to a man being so extremely available and able to commit and there for me that it's almost discombobulating. It's easier for me to know how to date someone who's just breadcrumbing me because I'm more used to it. Okay, let's let's unpack that a little bit. Because he's so available, it kind of gets me in my head. Um, yeah, this is just a really new experience and I'm 
I'm trying to learn how to do it because this is the type of guy that I know that I should be with. It's just an adjustment for me to even know how to handle it. Mm. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I have to fight my inner Carrie to It'd be so weird if you're like, he's so sweet. He's an asshole to the dog. But otherwise, he's Honestly, great to me. I'm in the past ep- couple episodes. If you guys have been listening in order, I gave up my dog. But now I took him back. OK, well, <laughs> well, it's a split custody we split situation. Custody, me and my mom. Yes. And he's like my son. And if somebody acts really into him, it makes them more into of course, them. Yeah. I also had. He's an, also a very easy dog to be into. He's very little. He's very sweet. But you know what? Some people are just not into dogs. And yeah. seeing somebody like look at your cute little dog and be like uninterested is just like flaccid no, penis for me. I agree with that. I agree. Sometimes there, when like if I'm walking down the street even and someone doesn't like properly acknowledge how cute Dennis is, I'm like, wow, that person's dead to me. And it's like they don't even know me. There you go. I'm like, I hate I just like actively pick fights with strangers who don't give my dog enough attention. Like, you blind? You don't have eyes? Yeah. You can't see cute? Yeah. Does something like, happen in your childhood? Yeah, I'm like, what's wrong with you? He's fluffy, he's brown, he's a vision. I feel exactly the same. I'm like, if people don't wildly make a big deal about Chachi, I'm like, they have baggage. Yeah. They're damaged. No, they are. They're damaged goods. Gal, who the hell were you this week? Um, Who was I this week? I guess I was a bit of a carry a little bit. I don't know. I don't know if there's ever been a scene in Sex and the City where Carrie like goes to a carnival, but I could just picture that happening if the show were still on the air with her and Big would like go to a carnival and like share cotton candy and like walk around. Like I think actually in the episode that we're going to talk about um, today, wait, is today the one with the bowling or is that? Yes, the, it is. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, I feel like Carrie loves to kind of do sort of classically 50s. like juvenile activities. Like she kind of repurposes, um, sort of like, yeah, like vintage ways of having fun. And, uh, I went to a carnival. I went to the was OC it fair. It was a blast. And, uh, yeah, we ate like so cute. all the ridiculous fair food. Well, I grew up in Texas and Texas has one of the biggest state fairs. Like I think the one in Minnesota Did you is go the all biggest. The time growing up, yeah, it um, because every year it would be in Dallas for two weeks, so you kind of had to like get it in because it's not a very long time. Did you wear like a hoop skirt and get a funnel cake? And no, stuff? no, but it's like you know you walk around. There's like different buildings. There's like a car show. There's like a craft fair, and then sort of as you weave through the fair, it kind of turns into the midway where all the games are. You can win a goldfish, all that stuff, and then it moves into like the rides and. The layout of this was exactly the layout of of the Texas fair, but smaller. Yeah, it was really fun. And uh, we went kind of late in the afternoon because there's that the excitement of it, like going from light to dark and then all of the lights on the rides light up. And it looks really like whimsical. Honestly, this is going to sound so lame. I was inspired by the carnival episode of Euphoria. I've seen it. It's a bottle episode that takes place at a carnival. I don't think that's a spoiler because I'm not really giving away plot points. It's more of just a backdrop for the episode. But um yeah, I watched that and it was so beautifully shot. And I was like, man, I haven't been to a fair in a really long time. I know when I bumped into you, you're like, girl, do you want to go to the fair? I'm like, mm. well, I know. I'm so cute. I'm glad you had a great time. It was really great because I'm not taking any vacations this summer because I'm working the entire summer. So I you need to take many day vacations. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I need to make sure that my weekends feel somewhat exciting. And That's I like great. I, I love like that. how temporary the fair is. I love that it's only two weeks. Like you have to go now or you're going to miss it and you're going to have to wait till next oh, year. So cute. Yeah, it was fun. We ate a bunch of crap and um, rode some really insane rides. I, I think that rides have gotten so intense. Like I think that 
like Six Flags or like Knott's Scary Farm. Knott's Scary Farm is what they call it at Halloween time. Knott's Berry Farm. Um, they are. Bitch, you better get your Berry Farm I know, shit correct. I know. Um, but they are. Uh, I think the rides there are like, you know, they have a, a range of like crazier roller coasters to like more just fun. At the fair that we went to, every ride was like challenging you not to barf. Like everything was so intense. And I was like, I, I like rides. I don't have a weak stomach. And every ride I was like, I'm going to throw up. Like they're so intense. Also, like that's very brave of you to go on a ride at something where they built it like very quickly and it's only gonna be for two weeks and then they quickly take it down. It's like that ride is not necessarily quote unquote sturdy. No, they had, there's some rides that look really sturdy. They look brand new and very shiny and you're like, okay, this clearly is like a newer ride. And then there are the ones that are clearly old, like the rickety, like tilt a whirl. (laughs) And then then there's one called the zipper, which I don't even know how to describe it, but it's basically like a Ferris wheel. Um, but you're the thing, the little cage you're in can go oh, in a full circle and no. flip over. And it's on this, like, it's, That's o- a no. it's on like, um, I don't even know how to describe it. It's Did, like this rotating. It's not even a wheel. It's like a stick. And you're like rotating around sounds like a this nightmare. one line. And I was watching and it was so squeaky. And I was like, I can't go on this simply because it's not structurally sound. Did Dan finger you on one of the death defying? No. What? Honestly, missed opportunity, as I always missed say, missed opportunity, but also completely impossible on the death defying ones. Like they are so you're just God, trying you're not die to puke. On a ride. You should at least have you I should s- at least be plugged up. You know? I know. I know. Real missed opportunity. Well, then sh- with that being said, <sighs> should we kick into season two, episode five? Four women and a funeral. All right. Let's do it. So the episode starts with Carrie, Charlotte, and Samantha attending a funeral for a fabulous fashion designer, Javier, who unfortunately died of a heroin overdose. Javier's sister, Josefina, gives a speech about how she wants to build a sober house for people in the fashion industry and dedicate it to her brother's memory. Samantha decides to help Josefina raise money for the sober house. I just realized I said Josefina. Like, that was really dramatic. (laughs) I loved it. Um, Not because it's the right thing to do, but because she wants to build connections with important fashion people, Nat. Meanwhile, Charlotte has the ultimate cemetery meet cute when her hat blows onto a tombstone where a handsome widower is mourning his dead wife. Aw, how sweet. They exchange some small talk and then decide to get a drink. It's just a drink. It works on the same block as my gallery. You picked up a man at a cemetery? He's really handsome, and he went to Princeton. The widower thing is a definite no-no. Why? The dead wife factor. It doesn't matter how much of a bitch she was alive. Now she's dead, and you're the bitch who can't live up to her. You shouldn't talk about his wife like that. See? Happening already. It's not his fault she died. And besides, I think that going through something like that makes him more sensitive. I mean, he's felt really deeply. He's in touch with his emotions. It's kind of romantic. And think about it. He's been married. I mean, it shows he can commit. Then date a divorce guy. They've committed and everyone's still alive. Well, it didn't work for big. All that marriage did was convince him he hated committing. Carrie, you broke up with him. Oh, so I'm the one with a commitment problem? Well, I'm just saying. So what do you think about her being, like, sort of turned on by the fact that a guy has a widow? What do you think about that? Um, I think that I get the logic I do understand what Charlotte's saying. It's kind of the thing of like, well, it's slightly better than a divorce because like the baggage is dead. <laughs> you know, like that's funny. I'm not thrilled to have that perspective, but that is how I see it. So I, I don't think she's insane. No, I don't think she's insane. I think that 
uh, she's very animated and bubbly considering someone is mourning their wife. I think her um, energy is not necessarily matching the the scenario. The carpets um, don't match the emotional drapes. No, they do not. um, Or it does not. But uh, yeah, I I think that I, I do understand where she's coming from. What do you think? Well, you bring up a good point because something that a lot of people do when they find out that actually... I do this too. Like if a guy's recently out of something, I'll look up his ex online and see if she's prettier than me and see what she's up to and see what she does. And maybe if she's dead, that would be like, less competitive. Well, she's, she's, yeah, she's definitely it's like, thinner because she's like just a yeah, corpse. I can and never... also, yeah. And also it's like, if she is, yeah, if she's any of the things that would make you feel insecure, you're like, well, I do have being alive over her. That's true. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, I, have, I, have more, that, I, I, I am more breathing. <laughs> I am more successful in terms of like pulse and heartbeat. Yeah. Like in terms of like, she might have like made more money or like, you know, been further ahead in her career, but I'm further I ahead survived. in survived. <laughs> yeah, I guess in a Darwinian way, I'm way more successful. Yeah, you're right. right. I think there is something there. I do think that... Um, I think that Charlotte's character is so funny that like, it's almost like she's so into romance that she just decides to see it everywhere. Yeah. Like you're just making a decision that everything's romantic. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It is almost like she's reverse engineering her feelings to fit the situation. Like, does she actually think it's sweet or is she trying to think it's sweet? Yeah. It's like almost like as long as a guy is white and rich mm-hmm. and went to a good school and like probably like Irish, then yeah. she's like in love with him no matter what. Yeah. I know. Her thing of like anyone to Princeton, it's like some of the most sociopathic people went <laughs> like, to Ivy League schools. Almost like, all. Yeah. I mean, it's like, sure, they're smart, but also there are schools where it's like they're smart and they're open and they're emotionally available. And I mean, not to stereotype. I know plenty of people who are delightful who went to Ivy League schools. Fuck you if you went to an Ivy. But but seriously, though, like it is kind of a weird thing where it's like, oh, there are a lot of different types of people who attend Princeton. Like, yeah, <laughs> there's absolutely. a wide spectrum. So let's just be clear if it's positive for your relationship or if it actually could be really damaging. Also, not to be like a major B, but the fact that she's like, and he's handsome. I was like, is he? No, none of the men on this show except for Chris Noth are good looking. Agree. Yeah. And Steve coming soon. Oh, I know. I know. You love Steve. I think Steve is good looking. I, I don't know if I'm like out of my mind, but He's I also think ver- Seinfeld is good looking. So oh, I'm weird. They're very similar, actually. I think like nerdy Jewish guys can be cute. I don't think Steve is Jewish. I mean, I would I th- believe is Jerry Seinfeld Jewish is. On, yeah, no, Jerry Seinfeld but, is. But Steve has a little bit of a scrappy look. Yeah, yeah. Is, it, is Steve supposed to be Italian? I don't know. I don't either. Coming, coming oh my soon. God, we got to figure that out. But I do have something to say about... I do also think Samantha has a point Mm -hmm. that if someone's wife dies and they had a good relationship, then that person is going to be martyred forever. Yeah. I think that would be a really hard thing to step into those shoes, especially if they weren't together long enough for the relationship to go bad. If it ended on a high note. Yeah. There's a, there's a woman who I adore. Her name's Natalie Borales and she um, has a podcast called terrible. Thanks for asking, which I think I may have talked about in an earlier episode, but her, uh, her husband died of brain cancer and they had a really like amazing marriage and, 
and now she's remarried oh. and the son that she had with Aaron, her husband, her ex, or not ex husband, deceased husband, her deceased husband, thank you. Um, the, that now like she's merged her family with this new family. How's it going? And I mean, good. They like, okay. it, you know, I think it took some time. I think there was an adjustment period and she talks about it very openly in her books and she has that wonderful podcast. Um, but it is interesting. I think that um, it's something that her new husband has to deal with. Like he, you know, it's not like she was in a failed marriage before. She was in a really healthy marriage and really misses her husband. That but she's also in a really grateful for her new husband and her new life. I do think it would be really hard to step into some dead shoes. Mm. I think especially if it was a great relationship, because in a weird way, it makes it it's a different challenge where it's like. You can never say anything bad about her because she's dead. You can never be like, babe, yeah. I'm sure sometimes she didn't do the dishes. Like, right. You know, well, because when you look back, uh, I mean, I don't know if that's 100 percent true as far as like I don't when have you any dead back, people in my life that I was close with. I, I do. Oh. And uh, I don't think that I necessarily look at them with rose colored glasses. Oh, really? Yeah. One of my best friends died when I was in college. Whoa. And um, and I definitely am like. Yeah, she was like hard to be friends with towards the end. I definitely wow. don't have a like, oh my God, if she we could perfect. have had one more moment. It's like, no, it was really hard to be friends with her. I mean, I I miss her and I wish that like she was, I mean, it's very sad. She died when she was 18. So it's like, I think more about like, oh, she died when she was 18. It's insane. Like, I wish that she could have like seen more time. Cause like, I wish I think she could a have been alive the, to hear this podcast. I mean, please. At least, at the very least. At the very least. But like, I, I really felt like, that's the thing that makes me the most sad is just like, oh, they didn't get enough time. Like she she was uh, she was like a sick she was she was dealing with like mental health and um, was doing drugs and she was hanging out with all these like really shitty people. And I know that if she had lived longer, she would have outgrew those people. She would have figured out how to take care of herself. She would have stepped into her own and like, you know, become uh, like a successful person. because She was very smart. So I think in those terms, more than anything. Yeah, I think that's, well, it's interesting to hear your POV on this. I think at the end of the day, if you're the kind of person that's insecure and compares yourself to people's exes, you're going to get insecure whether they're dead or alive. Yeah. There's ways to f make yourself feel bad no matter what. Yeah. Maybe the, hot, the, the lesson is whether they're dead or alive, just let that go and yeah. don't ask questions. I also think you also don't need to talk so much about your exes to your current partner. Yeah, I mean, I think that it also depends what well, we're dealing with. Who, who knows with this? Ned. Yeah, Ned. And um, we also know that this does not end in a truthful way. But uh, yeah, I mean, this storyline is bonkers <laughs> to the point really where fun. I wonder if the writers knew someone that this happened to because it is it's it's a, fun a twist. wild twist. Yeah, I do want to ask you because yes. um, uh Charlotte brings it up to Carrie uh, that, you know, Carrie's like, well, they talk about something that we've talked about before on the show. And one of the things that Charlotte thinks is a positive about this guy is that he has been married. He can commit. And right. then Samantha has that funny line. Well, just stay a divorce guy. Yeah. You know, everyone's still alive, which right. is super funny. <laughs> and then Carrie says, you know, well, all marriage taught big was that he never wants to get married again. And then yeah. Charlotte kind of gives her shit 
about being like, you're the one that broke I up with know. her. Yeah. And sort of insinuating that Carrie's the one with a commitment issue. I thought that was really interesting. What do you think about that? Um, I definitely think Carrie has commitment issues. And I think it was really astute of Charlotte to pick up on that. Um, it was a weird thing for Charlotte to sling at Carrie, knowing how big hurt her. It did feel sort sensitive. of. Yeah. And also just very casual. Like it felt very dismissive of the information Charlotte has on that relationship, which is that it was toxic. He was gaslighting all the time. Um, you know, he was toying with her head. Like I felt it, it was strange to hear that that was Charlotte's point of view, because you would think that Charlotte would be like, oh, yeah, like you broke up with Big. That was the right move. It was a little like, well, you're the one who broke up with him. <laughs> it's well, like, well, you know why that happened, though. Well, that's why I'm kind of wondering, like. For people that are just watching the show or even for us right now, if you haven't seen the rest of the show, you're just here at this point. Does Carrie have commitment issues for breaking up with somebody who said who couldn't tell her who couldn't introduce her to his mother and couldn't tell her, like, I think you're the one. Like, does that mean she has commitment issues for breaking up with him? No, those are the things that make it completely justified. Right. I think she has commitment issues outside of the big relationship, knowing what I know about, like, future but seasons. But if we were here to this point, then maybe she doesn't. From what we've seen so far. I want to say 100% she does not. Because I haven't I seen think it yet. she has every reason to break up with this guy and mm -hmm. I thought it was really empowering that she was like this is what I need and you're not giving it to me yeah totally um, there is another part of me that's like but he gave her so many other things and like the mom thing when she showed up at the church she was, was acting crazy for that it was a little much she's not yeah I mean I'm under the impression they haven't known each other that long so I do think she's kind of telegraphing what is going to happen in their relationship which is he's not going to be able to give her enough later on down the line but based on the fact that they've only been together a few months, months yeah. yeah I was kind of like well you could see where it goes it seems like it's on a pretty good track honestly I think this is a real conundrum that I've definitely faced a lot of people I know have faced and that is how long do you wait and is it about being impatient is it impatient to leave somebody who you know oh, that's so interesting yeah like I have a friend and also is it okay to be impatient which I think the answer is yes <laughs> yeah I guess it's just one of these things where it's like I think being empowered and impatient there's like a thin yeah. line. They're kind of like different sides of the same coin. Yeah, because I think it's fair to be like, this is what I need. You can deliver it or not. And it can be empowering to be like, this is what I need. And someone says no. But it could also be impatient to be like, this is what I need. And someone's like, I'm not there yet. And be like, OK, bye. And I mm. think it's really hard for you to decide the universal you, me, whatever, is when is this empowering and when is this just not giving somebody a chance like... Because I have a friend who is finally engaged to this guy she's been dating for four years and lives with, and he's an avoidant and she's anxious, but they've made it work. They know that they both are these types and they go to couples therapy and he had a big hurdle about marriage. He, I don't know if his parents had a bad marriage or what, but it just like was a big hurdle for him. And she was patient and she was patient and she was patient and she was patient and now they're engaged. And it's mm -hmm. like another woman might be like, Goodbye. Yeah, I have a friend who just broke up with her boyfriend because they've and they have a really solid connection, amazing sex life, very open communication, like really like intertwined with each other in every okay. way. And she broke up with him because she was like, he just doesn't want marriage. And I, I do eventually. And he might come around to it. But the signs are pointing to he also no. might not. Well, actually, that's very common. And a lot of times that's like guys like after they get dumped, they like get back in line. And actually, now that I realize this, 
this friend of mine gave him an ultimatum and said, by the end of the year, if we're not engaged, I'm breaking up with you. And then like two weeks later, he's like, you want to marry me? So she Hmm. did have to do the ultimatum. Yeah. Okay. Well. Oh my God. What a topic. I know. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Back to the app. While the gals are using a funeral to meet men and network, Miranda <laughs> Miranda's busy buying her very first apartment. Meanwhile, after the funeral, Carrie goes home and starts contemplating death and decides that since we're all going to die and life could end at any moment, why not call Big and ask him on a date? While Carrie is pondering death, Samantha is living her life, hitting the town to raise funds for the Javier house. Her first stop is a meeting with Richard Cranwell, a wealthy investment banker who majorly flirts with Samantha. Whether she does it for love or money, Samantha starts making out with the guy until they are interrupted by his wife, Sandy Cranwell, who walks in on them. Oops. Yikes. While owning your own apartment should feel empowering, Miranda's being belittled at every step of the way by people who keep asking if she's single. From the realtor to the guy at the mortgage company, the question keeps popping out. Is it just you? Miranda gets frustrated having to say she's a single female over and over. The core four get together and catch up, and Miranda dishes the dirt on being a homeowner. I'm telling you, if I was a single man, none of this would be happening. If you were a single man, I'd date you. I've got the money, I've got a great job, and I still get, it's just you. No, they're threatened. Buying a place alone means you don't need a man. I don't. Everyone needs a man. That's why I rent. If you own and he still rents, then the power structure is all off. It's emasculating. Men don't want a woman who's too self-sufficient. I'm sorry, did someone just order a Victorian straight up? (laughs) I'm sorry, Miss Jones, your card's not accepted. Well, that's not possible. Try it again. Maybe I'm not making myself clear. Your card and you are not accepted here. Samantha had messed with the wrong woman. Sandy Cranwell practically owned Manhattan, and she wanted Samantha off it. Come on. Let's go. Sandy Cranwell had done what any well-heeled socialite would do. She took out a social hit on Samantha. In 12 hours, Sam had gone from A-list to blacklist. So, thoughts on the clip. Thoughts on the clip. Um, Is it insane that Charlotte rents to make a man feel more powerful? Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. That is wild. It's actually wild. Because um, if we're talking about Manhattan money, which is not normal city money, it's psycho money. I mean, it's completely inflated. Yeah. Like someone who's like poor in Manhattan still could make $80,000 a year. A a full-time 24-hour servant in the Midwest. Yeah. So um, I think that also, yeah, I think that someone who buys an apartment, that doesn't even mean that you are, you don't have Trump money. You know what I mean? Or, well, that's a bad example because he's not doing so great. But um, you know what I mean? You don't have like old 
like Southern wealth money just because you buy your own apartment. It it does mean you're self-sufficient, but it doesn't mean that your funds are so exorbitant that it would threaten someone. So that's my first point. And my second point is why would you ever obviously want to be with someone who's threatened by you being self-sufficient? If anything, I feel like men hopefully would see that as like, Oh, I don't have to worry about this person in that capacity because relationships can be uh i think relationships can take a hit from financial issues uh and i think that if someone especially in a city like manhattan can help you shoulder some of the burden of your finances when you're in a couple i think that's only a positive thing because it's very expensive to live there yeah i agree with you on both counts i also just think that like This is the kind of shit that Charlotte says where it's just like, do you have any self-esteem? Because it's like pretending to be someone you're not. If you can afford to buy and you purposely don't to rent to look like you're less capable than you are, that's just making yourself smaller. That's like lying to somebody and telling them that you like – like don't have the job you have just in case it's too impressive. It's like, girl, don't make yourself. The fact that she is interested in making herself smaller for a man, like whatever it is to, you know, kowtow to the male ego. I mean, that's like really fucked up. It's really fucked up, but also it is a result of the something real. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, Dan was actually talking to me about this, that he's, He knows a lot of girls where he grew up on Long Island who he thinks they act dumber than they are because it's like kind of seen as attractive because there's such toxic masculinity on Long Island that it makes the men feel like even like bigger and broier. That's crazy. And the women are very smart and they all end up going to like top schools. They're like, climate change? Yeah, yeah. They're like, are you serious? Well, not that dumb. But yeah, you know what I mean? (laughs) They play it, they dumb it down uh, intentionally. And uh, it's like a cultural thing. And it's funny because all of them end up getting like their masters and PhDs. Like these are, you know, they're educated. They're not going to not go to school. But in conversation, they'll talk more about like makeup and like just superficial things. Like they don't go deep on purpose. Yeah. And it's interesting because, I mean, yeah, maybe there are men that do feel that way. Maybe Charlotte's not insane. But and also this show was made 20 years ago. So at the time possibly it was more rare for women to be successful. And so maybe it was a pariah. Like maybe that was considered. I mean, they're talking about Samantha also calls it out immediately though. Like I think what they're doing is showcasing a point of view. This is a classic thing of Charlotte says the thing that a lot of people don't want to say, but do think and feel. Yeah. And I don't think, I think think either of us are like, I hope a man feels more attracted to me if I don't, you know, pay for my apartment. Like (laughs) that, that is an extreme thing. And I don't think that way. And I don't think you think that way, but I like (laughs) that. The only reason I'm renting a studio in Los Fields. It's not because I can't afford to yeah, buy. It's hilarious. It's just to get a man. I've got so much money. But I like, I like that. I like that this viewpoint is represented because at least it gives the other characters something to push back on. I totally agree. And I think that yeah, it's a, it is such a hilarious, extreme example. And I'm proud of the writers for even putting it in the show because it is such a toxic point of view. I and completely it's agree with you. It absolutely, has to be in there. it's absolutely hysterical to have. A, a character like Charlotte being like, I, I rent because it makes men feel bigger and stronger. Yeah, it's, it's almost like, being like, whoa. It's almost like being like, I purposely don't go to the gym because what if I had a muscle? Yeah. Like, what if you saw I had a muscle? Yeah. 
he might leave me. Yeah. Like, like it's really, really Men dramatic. Men want women with wispy arms that can't lift chairs. Yeah, like I only eat one meal a day because then I'm sleepy like a little cat. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> fucking bizarre. Yeah, I mean, I do agree with you that it does have to be in here and it is totally Charlotte. And I agree with what you're saying that a lot of people do feel this way. This is a really extreme example. Yes. But it's a cartoonish, uh, it's a cartoonish portrayal of maybe a more grounded example. But actually, I think you're absolutely right because even the small things that we ask men to do now, like I have a, a big circle of friends of mine are like lesbians. And when we talk about dating and, you know, they're all in relationships and I'm like the single one talking about like my heterosexual dating life. And like they think it's insane that I think a guy should pay and they're like, you know, and even this idea that a guy should pay and open the door. It's like what I can't like reach the door like with like my little baby bird hands. It's yeah. like that can also be considered. That's like another step of pretending to rent. You know, it's yeah, like, sure. It's like that is also an example of women being like, I can't do this. You do this. Yeah. Like, and that's something we all agree, not we all, but that's something a lot of women totally still sign up for, myself included. So it's kind of hypocritical of me to be like, Charlotte, that's cray cray that you accept that and expect that. And then I'm still expecting men to do these very Victorian things, too. Yeah. So look at the man in the mirror, Rose. Oh, my God. <sighs> well, um, what do you think about the Samantha of it all? Should she be blacklisted by this uh, socialite? I think Samantha's such a funny character and like you can get away with a lot when you're writing a comedy show. Like if you think about The Office, Ricky Gervais's character, the British office is such an asshole, but he's so funny that you love him. You love the show, whatever. Like in real life, if you knew a woman like Samantha who was just willy nilly, like sleeping with your husband and like no man was out of bounds, that's a fucking sociopath. And that's somebody who's amoral and like not a good person. But we love her. Because she's funny and she's fun. And that's just a really amazing magic trick that the writers played on this show. Because the real life version of this person is a toxic nightmare that nobody would be friends with. Yeah. The fact that it's also really interesting in a weird way. I didn't think of it until just now. If Samantha is truly sleeping with everyone's husband and doesn't give a fuck, it's kind of interesting that like she does respect the other girls. Like she does not fuck with the girl's friends. No. It's kind of interesting. Never. She would it's, never. It's a weird line. Yeah. She's a she's fiercely loyal. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. I guess that makes her a little more empathetic. Mm -hmm. But yeah, hell yeah, she should be blacklisted. You can't just go around snogging everyone's man and expect to get away scot-free. I actually think it's so funny and fun that there is this mafia culture among the ladies who lunch where like within a snap of the fingers, she can't get into any restaurants. I love this like mythology of New York that works like that. Yeah. And I, I believe that it's real. Um, I definitely believe it's real. Yeah. Like you're not invited to the tennis club anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's probably a smaller social scene than we even realize. Cause when you think about it, you're like, Oh, the way Manhattan is sort of laid out, it's like there's probably like the women of the Upper East Side, which uh -huh. is actually just like a couple of blocks. Yeah. So it's like tiny. Yeah. I mean, like Manhattan's already tiny. But then imagine sort of the social elite of a even smaller subsect of people. It's probably insanely gossipy. And we have seen it portrayed on TV and other shows like Odd Mom Out is another one that I feel like really kind of showcases this side of New York, which I know nothing about, but I do believe it exists. Like even just Park Avenue, it's like it's one street for a couple of blocks. I'm sure they all know each other. Yeah, I have to say, as far as like my interests and the stuff I like to watch, it's like a it's not a Venn diagram. It's a perfect circle of like 
rich women and like mafiosos. Like I just want an entire show of shippy shipmen making a decision of where you get to go and what you get to do. Yeah. It's really, it's just such an interesting world. Um, yeah. Cause it's also like, it's also a world we don't really know anything about. It does feel like mafia. It's, it's like, amazing. We, we really know so little about these women. Yeah. I just think it's really cool where like women who like traditionally are considered like powerless, like wives and stay-at-home moms have this whole n- secret network of like drunk with power kind of thing. Absolutely. And they're they're sort of the face of the relationship they have with their very powerful rich husband. You know, they run the operation. Even if he's the one like bringing in the money, it's like, right, but they're the ones like running the company. Exactly. Yeah. Well, actually, speaking of sexism, before we move on from this clip, what did you think of what Miranda Hobbs was dealing with? Do you think that was sexist or do you think that she was just internalizing it that way? All the questions of like, are you single? Is it just you? Buying I think house? she was internalizing it. But also, I think the part that was sexist was when the guy said, um, so is your dad paying for this? I mean, that was like hilarious. <laughs> that was the most <laughs> outrageous thing uh, to say to, well, I guess, Miranda's 35 at this point in the show. Yeah. Um, so that part was actually crazy. But I think the rest of it, she was internalizing. Yeah, it's like this episode is really awesome for many reasons. But the, the one thing that makes me sad about this episode is, as we know, you know, buying a house is a really big deal and anyone who does it should be so proud of themselves, especially somebody who did it on her own fucking dime in New York city, which is anywhere, but especially New York city expensive. And and also everyone's parents helps them with the down payment. It sounds like she really did it herself based on her blood, sweat and tears. It's like, I'm a little bummed just for Miranda because I've grown to love her so much that there's no, nobody's even that happy for her. It's like, I guess just knowing how rare it is for people to buy a home, yeah. especially in this economy. It's just like, she should be so proud of herself. It's like, I guess there is something sexist about this episode in a way where it's like buying a house, you should be insanely proud of yourself and it's a huge step forward, but all she feels is shame. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's pretty relatable because anytime I've ever had an accomplishment in my life, it's, this is almost moving away from the sexist element, but my mind sort of works like, oh, you can't enjoy that. You have to find something else to be stressed about because if you're sort of wholly excited about one thing, something it's almost, it's, it's, bad it's, it's, al- it's almost like it's a form of punishment. It's like, oh, you don't get to feel complete elation. You don't deserve you it. You have to balance it with some stress and finding something to be upset about. So I kind of do this thing where I'm like, oh, I got this cool opportunity, but also mm, I am still running my apartment. Like I do a thing where I just can't fully allow myself to feel excited for myself. I think that I feel like it's indulgent. So I always find something to be upset about to counterbalance the excitement. I relate to that. And I wonder if that is our own emotional baggage from our childhoods or and or if that is also a female thing of like, you're not allowed to like gloat. You're not allowed to be proud. Like, keep your head down. It's not a big deal. Interesting. Yeah, because like I do think I don't know. Maybe I'm making everything about sexism. I, no, I can't tell. I, I mean, it's hard to not think that way. I yeah. mean, it's definitely possible. I don't know the root of it, but uh, and I also don't know if it's just me. I think you, me and fictional character Miranda and all listeners, if something good happens in your life that you should be proud of, let's all practice just 
having a moment to be really fucking proud of ourselves yeah. and not knocking ourselves down. Because yeah. guess what? There's going to be a lot of times where we're going to get knocked down anyway. Yeah. We might as well enjoy the good, good accomplishments. It's yeah. like... It's it's a challenge. It's a challenge for me too. So I hear you. Yeah, I don't know why it's so hard, but it's I I my hypothesis is that it's a well I know for mine it's a deserve thing of like you don't deserve this or something like you don't yeah, deserve also, to be so happy. There's also like a laziness to me in in being proud of myself. It's like, lazy. It feels lazy because it's like oh that's like a form of complacency to be like oh you did it you're done you did it. Like, so you know I, instead I just go, oh, I'm not done. I have. Uh, yeah, maybe I did that, but I didn't do all these other things. So I have to stop being lazy. You are one of the hardest working people I know, if not the. And I wow. have to say that is probably in a way you, you might not want to get rid of that because that might be a fuel for your fire. Maybe. Like, yeah, I, think I definitely that's interesting. have no problem being like, oh, I did like one web series 10 years ago. I'm going to like <laughs> just sit and eat some grapes for a weekend. Need <laughs> <laughs> some grapes. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It is exhausting, though. So the next night, Charlotte meets Ned. These names. <sighs> The widower for drinks. He's still wearing his wedding ring. His wallet is full of photos of his dead wife. And the man ugly cries like a baby about missing his deceased beloved. Mmm. For some unexplained reason, this behavior turns Charlotte on and they end up having hot grief sex at his apartment. The next day, Charlotte, Miranda and Carrie walk through the park to catch up. Miranda tells Charlotte that she is obviously Ned's rebound, but ever the optimist, Charlotte refuses to believe her. In fact, Charlotte brags. He invited her to a memorial service at his dead wife's grave next week. Interesting second date, Charlotte. Aw, jealous. No guy's ever invited me to his dead wife's memorial on a second date. (laughs) That night, Carrie has her big date with Big. The night ends with a sexy makeout in Big's doorway, but before Big can convince Carrie to come inside, she leaves, suddenly confused about what this all means. Across town, Samantha repeatedly gets shut out of different posh venues. After being denied at a club, a restaurant, and even a Javier fashion show, she realizes she's being socially blackmailed by Sandy Cranwell, and if she wants to get back to her social status, she's going to have to beg for it. Meanwhile, Miranda is getting settled into her new apartment when her down-the-hall neighbor, who may or may not be an evil ghost, tells her a horror story about how the previous tenant was a single woman who died alone in the apartment. And not only that, the woman's cat ate half her face and nobody found the body for a week. Great story, old crone. Next time, maybe keep that creepy shit to yourself. That night, Miranda eats Chinese takeout and watches TV when suddenly she chokes on a piece of chicken. She scrambles around the apartment trying to get the food out of her throat when she finally gives herself the Heimlich by slamming her stomach into a moving box. The food flies out of her mouth and she can finally breathe again. After a week of being a social pariah, Samantha goes to Shippy Shipman, the queen of the ladies who lunch, to beg for her status back. Unfortunately, Shippy also hates Samantha because she grabbed her husband's ass at a witness benefit years ago. A very flat ass, by the way. Samantha really knows how to pick them. Desperate and DTA, down to apologize, Samantha admits she's a whore and begs for mercy. Unfortunately, Shippy isn't feeling it. She refuses her requests and sends her packing. The next day, Miranda takes a stroll through her new neighborhood when she... Sorry, gets dizzy. Oh, okay. The next day, Miranda takes a stroll through her new neighborhood when she gets dizzy and almost walks into traffic. She takes a cab to the hospital where Carrie meets her. Well, that was freaky. I felt like I was drowning and dying at the same time. Sweetie, they said you had a panic attack. Yeah, 
and I had to pay $500 of my single person salary to find that out. What's wrong? Take a good look at my face, because at my funeral, there'll only be half of it. I'll be dead, and my cat will be happy, and Charlotte will be picking up men at the next gravesite over. Breathe, sweetie, breathe, breathe. I'm all alone, Carrie. The first people on my call in case of emergency list are my parents, and I don't like them, and they live in Pennsylvania. Oh, sweetie, you can put me on there. I can't. You screen. Well, I'll pick up. I promise. Listen, you did the right thing buying that apartment. You love it, right? Yeah. And you won't be alone forever. The truth was, I didn't know if any of us would end up alone. Mm. Really emotional. I love that scene. It's gorgeous. It's one of my favorite scenes from the whole series. I agree. And um, we talk about this a lot, but... You know, this show is kind of like the Beatles, like the Beatles had hit after hit after hit album after album. It's very rare for a band to have that much good stuff. Almost every time we review an episode, there's at least one iconic scene Agreed. that has been talked about in culture ad nauseum. The idea, the scene where um, Miranda chokes alone in her apartment, every single human male or female has worried about dying alone in their apartment, yeah. nobody helping them. It's like, that is so iconic. Yeah. Also, I don't know what it is about it, but it's the way Miranda delivers like, I'm all alone, Carrie. Like sh- there's something about her intonation. It's, it's she's so such a good be- actor. It's, she's so beautifully acted. Yeah, it really is. It's such a solid performance. Um, have you ever had a panic attack? I've never had a panic attack. I've had, I've been close, I guess, or I've had, what I think is close to a panic attack, although I don't love saying that because I don't want to minimize what it's like to actually have one. But um, I've definitely what had... What was the circumstance, if you remember? Um, I... Uh, it was when I was filming Crashing. There was like a stand-up show that I had to do. And for some reason, I felt so anxious about it. Like, like I, I couldn't... I don't know if it's because we were filming and I hadn't been doing stand-up, so I just felt really overwhelmed uh, and sort of out of practice. And I was like, oh, I shouldn't. Why would I be on this show? Like, I'm not I'm not a stand-up the way I want to be a stand-up right now. I feel like a fraud. Yeah, and I was just spiraling, and I felt tightness in my chest, and um, my breathing was definitely a little more erratic. And I remember I called Jacqueline Novak, and I was like, I'm, I don't know why I, I want to cancel the show and I can't, I don't really feel justified in doing so. Cause I'm not sick, but I do feel sick. And she was like, she explained to me, like, sometimes you just have to take care of yourself and stop feeling guilty about the reason for having to take care of yourself. So I ended up canceling, but I felt really, really bad. Well, that's a good, uh, good um, advice from a good friend. But yeah, it was, it was definite. It was definitely like physical symptoms brought on by anxiety, but yeah, not a full blown panic attack. What about you? Have you had one? I have not. I definitely have anxiety, but it's very, uh, just like every day in all things. Uh, yeah. but I'm just sort of joking. But no, I've I've never had a full blown panic attack, and somebody yeah. very close to me 
uh, has had a lot of them. So I've seen them. I've been around them. Um, I had one or two moments where I think I was about to have one. And the reason why I know I haven't is because I think it's an extremely physical experience. It it is. I think it's like you feel like you're going to die. Yes. And I had two experiences where things were ramping up. My breath was getting shorter and shorter. My heart was beating. I was feeling really crazy. And for some reason, I was able to just stop. So I haven't had them, but I think I've danced around them. Yeah. And they seem really, really scary. I remember when I was in maybe fourth or fifth grade, a girl that I went to school with had one and had to, I remember her like getting up in the middle of class and having to leave. And we were all so worried because it seemed, yeah, like very physical. And we were like, oh, she seems really sick all of a sudden. And it turned out that she was having a panic attack. But it was interesting because to me, there was nothing that sort of caused it. It was right. very sudden. It's inside of her own head. Yeah, exactly. And, she, and we're young and, you know, no one's really having those kinds of conversations. Like, I didn't even know what anxiety was at right. that age. So, yeah, I just remember being like, what happened to her? And then she came back and explained it. And, yeah, and I remember just being like, oh, you had to you had to fully stop your day because of that. And, yeah, as a child, you're just like, what's happening? It's kind of wild that the brain and the mind is so powerful that it can literally make Induce you feel an like yes. you're dying. Yes. Like it can literally shorten your yes. own breath. Yes. How wild. Yeah, I mean, that's why they're like, yeah, you know, people sort of are cavalier about stress in, a mo- in modern American culture, but stress can actually make you insanely sick. So, absolutely, yeah, we were just like, Oh, I'm stressed. Like it's kind of this term we throw around, but it's like, oh, well, what degree? Because you can make yourself physically ill. Absolutely. From it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that I think that this is a very good use of showing a panic panic attack in this episode. I think so, too. Because, yeah. And it just, you know, I, I love Miranda so much. She's sort of the most vulnerable character on the show. She's so she's like every person at their least cool. It's like when you're just yourself and you're. I don't know why this reminds me of vulnerability, but um, I grew up as a latchkey kid. My mom was working all the time. So I always came home to an empty house and our house was small and messy because my mom had no time to clean and whatever. And I was always very embarrassed about bringing people over to the house. And so my room was like sparkling. Mm. And whenever I had a play date, the house was kind of a small mess. I would like literally take magazines like teen beats and like fan them out like oh my god because i was like trying so hard i love that and i just remember just like looking at my room and being like is this cool enough like and i was so worried that it might not be and like that feels like miranda to me yeah like baby miranda baby miranda yeah just like what a sweet detail I feel like I did stuff like that as a kid too. Not the fanning the magazines, but that I very much relate to that feeling of like wanting to impress company. Yeah. Like looking and around thinking in of your little teen room and being like, is this cool enough? And thinking of your room as a separate entity from the house. You're like, there's the house and then there's my room. Like it's almost its own house. I used to have a a hundred percent. Yes. Especially when you're a teen and your room is like, it's such a a lot going on in terms of collage and magazine. cutouts. And I had a fucking poster as an aggressive virgin that said penises of the animal kingdom with like the elephant penis. And it's like, I had never even seen a penis in the wild. It's like, what was I even, who was I kidding with that poster? I had had lots of like edgy art on the walls and it's like, I don't even know what half of this means, but I just know it's taboo. So I gotta have it. That's so cute. So ridiculous. I feel like this concept gets thrown around a lot. We've all heard the phrase like dying Dying alone. alone. I'm afraid to die alone. What do you think about that? Um, 
I mean, we all die alone. I, I do feel that. Um, I think we've talked about this before, maybe not even on the show, but just in general. I think that a lot of people have this thing of like, I have to have a family because I want to be surrounded on my deathbed. There's a lot of like, I got to build out my world now. So when the time comes, I have a support structure around me. It's not and a I, bad idea. It's, it, it isn't, but it's also odd that we're thinking in terms of death. Yeah. It's like, well, you're living right now. Like when you're dying, you're going to fucking die. And also there's going to be nurses. You're going to make friends with the hospice people. They're supposed to be very lovely. They're literally trained to be the loveliest, loveliest people you ever meet in your entire life. I've I've never had a bad nurse. I truly think nurses are the angels of the human race. They are best people. And you're going to be surrounded by lots of them. Right. So, you know, honestly, you'll get to make some new friends right before you go. (laughs) Which sounds great. You're really really making it sound good. I'm just saying. I'm not saying don't have a family. I'm not like anti-building out your fam. No, I'm not anti-fam. But I also am a little anti this notion that like, I don't like that women think in terms of I'm going to die alone. You're not going to die alone. You're going to be okay. And also prepping for death when you're alive in those sort of fatalistic terms. Yeah. It's, it's just, uh, it's just unnecessary stress. You're adding to your life, your actual life, your living life. Yeah. I agree with that. I also think that this concept of dying alone is so funny that Miranda's worried about it. It's like you have a family. It's Carrie, Samantha, And Charlotte, the way I think of it is everyone needs family, but family can be anything. Oh, yeah. Everyone needs people. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be your spouse and two kids. It can be your best friends who you see every day. Exactly. And it's like if Miranda died today, she wouldn't be alone. She has her her people. I, I also related to the thing she said when she was like. My parents are my emergency contact because my mom is my emergency contact and it makes me feel really immature. Really? Yeah. Because I'm like, I'm an adult. That's really weird. Oh, (laughs) because if you have a husband or a spouse, it's like there you're it feels like a sign of adulthood for some reason. Yeah. To make like your mommy Maybe. your emergency contact. Yeah, but also your mom lives close. I mean, yes, and it is a useful yeah, one. Yeah, it's like, really useful. I I don't. I never really thought about the whole emergency contact thing. I am Dan married. is your emergency contact. He is, but I yeah. There's but, something adult about that, Jamie. Instead, is like, it? My mommy is my I emergency guess so. contact. I don't think in the, the, those terms. I just think yeah, an emergency contact is just anybody who lives close that you can trust. I think if you're single, you can use it as a way to feel bad about yourself. Mm-hmm. But you can use anything as well, a way to feel bad about yourself. Well, I think that is a really good point to bring up is that a lot of this is just self-induced pity and shame and that doesn't minimize it that's not to say that those things aren't valid but when you watch this episode you realize how much of this is just brought on by our own minds telling us we're not enough or that society is shaming us it's like i am not a single person and i never think in those terms towards single people and i i mean granted i'm a woman so maybe I, i don't see status i don't I no, really I, don't. I, I know. Just, I think that's really I, great. It's I nice just, to hear. I, I really don't think in those terms. Like I have, there are women in my family who like my aunt, who I love and admire. She is, she has been divorced, but she's been single for a long time. She was single for a long time before she got married. She was married for seven years, which is a pretty short amount of time. You know, she's been single pretty much most of my life. And I just am like, yeah, but she's also like got a great job and has a great house. And she does have a boyfriend now. And there was a time when she didn't have a boyfriend. and That was okay too. Like she's just, she also has a lot of friends. You look at people more holistically. I just don't, I don't think status comes from 
your relationship status. I think status comes from who you are as a person, what you bring to the table, you know, um, how self-sufficient you are um, and how you treat other people. Like there are so many other ways to judge someone and to think in terms of like married or single. It's like that actually is just a tax form to me. That is not actually how someone's life breaks down. And also just because they're someone's in a relationship doesn't mean they're in a fucking good relationship. Absolutely not. It's so, and also so many people are in relationships. It's not like it, it is. It is possible if you want it. Yeah, you will get it. Right. And then when you're in one, you might be like, oh, but there are all these wonderful things that were happening when I was single. You're like, is that, that all I had there to is? shelve? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of. I just think finding your status in another person is not really what status is, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I also think that like the only thing that I would judge a person based on their relationship is their relationship with themselves. Because if you have a good relationship with yourself, then single or married, you're good. If you have a bad relationship with yourself, single or married, you're bad. Exactly. Not bad as a human, but you're not going to be thriving emotionally or whatever. Yes. yes. Yeah. I I think that, again, I think you're completely right. I think the reason that this show is so relatable and good is because Miranda is such an awesome person. She's successful, talented, rich. Not that rich makes you a good person. She's got great friends. She lives in a really fun city. All she does is have fun. And then she just looks at herself as a failure. And it's like, man, don't we all do that? Yeah. It's a very relatable it's a good episode. Lesson. Like, it's a very we, relatable storyline. Yeah. It's like, let's stop being Miranda and, and only look at the things we don't have instead of the things we do. They've done all these studies that people who suffer from depression, they did a study where they made them write down for 10 minutes things that they were grateful for for six months. And then they tested the people after six months and people's depression got like markedly better. Mm-hmm. Just looking and thinking about all the things they have. Like, yeah. Miranda doesn't have a partner, but look at everything she has. Yeah. I mean, that's such a good lesson. I was doing that grateful exercise for a while um, because it was part of my headspace meditation that I did. And yeah, I was writing down like three to five things that I was grateful for every day. And I stopped doing it just because the meditation package ran out. But you ran out of things to be grateful for. Yeah, I'm just tapped out. But (laughs) um, my tits, my ass, my eyes. I don't know what else. And my dog. That's it. (laughs) But um, yeah, I uh, I think that it's it's a really nice thing to do as sort of a check in with yourself. It's it is helpful. And um, there's so much to be grateful for. Uh, Every day I think about it. I'm like, I live in America. I have a roof over my head. If anything happens to me physically, like a medical problem, I can pay for it. You know, we live in a city with so many homeless people. And just the fact that I can take a shower whenever I want, when I go to bed, I'm in a clean place. It's like, yeah, maybe my little you know, my little things aren't there, but the big giant things are there. And like, we won the lottery just being safe and sound. Like, yeah. Yeah, there's truly so much to be thankful for and grateful for. Namaste, listeners. We're thankful for you. All right, let's uh, let's wrap up the epi. Meanwhile, over in Queens, Charlotte heads to Ned's gravesite memorial. She brings a bouquet of white lilies because that was his wife's favorite flowers. But soon she notices a bunch of hot women walking over to Ned also holding white lilies. Turns out Ned's sad boy widow act isn't just a turn on for Charlotte. She beats him up with a flower bouquet and yells at him for using his dead wife to get chicks and then books it out of there. Then, in the weirdest plot twist that I still don't fully understand, Samantha is helping build the Javier house when Leonardo DiCaprio, a.k.a. some random actor backlit so you can't see his face, brings her back to social life. That sentence doesn't make sense because the plot point doesn't make sense. 
Meanwhile, in Miranda land, she gets some annoying news that the mortgage officer messed up her paperwork and labeled her as, quote, separated. So now, after all that BS, she has to write a humiliating letter stating that she is unequivocally single. While this upsets her at first, she finally gets over it. And by the time she finishes the letter, she realizes she will never die alone because she's got her friends. Throughout the episode, Carrie has been avoiding Big after their date because she doesn't know what to do about their relationship. Four unreturned calls later, Big comes over to her house to check on her. They end up going bowling and Big bowls a strike literally and figuratively because they go home and have sex. Oh, Carrie, when will you learn? Spoiler alert. Never. She never learns. That brings us to the end of the app. Yeah. Okay. So now we're going to answer the question of the episode. In a city that moves so fast, they give you the Sunday paper on Saturday. How did any of us know how much time we had left? There was so much I hadn't done. I'd never been to Greece. I hadn't finished painting my bathroom. My visa bill still wasn't paid in full. Hell, sometimes I felt like I was barely living. So it's kind of interesting that this funeral and thinking about death makes her call big and start up with big again. What do you think about that? Um, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think that there is a little bit of Carrie noticing how life is ephemeral. You know, uh, we can't really predict what's around the corner for us. And with that, maybe leaning into the moment and how you feel in the moment is more important than trying to create a roadmap of your life because it's actually kind of impossible. Um, so yeah, I think there's something kind of whimsical and sexy about this making her reconsider her relationship. Um, it's definitely not a healthy choice, but I do understand like the, what does it all mean, uh, approach to dating. Yeah, I agree. And sexy is a good word for this because it reminds me of times when like it's like those times in your life. A lot of times it has to do with sex and adventure and and men where you're like, oh, my God, this is a bad idea. But my heart's racing and my blood is pumping. And oh, my God, I'm sending this text or like you knock on someone's door or like uh, there have been moments in my yes. life where I've done those things where like yeah, they're, prob they're probably bad. But like it also makes you feel really alive. Yeah, actually, this is interesting because I. uh have a web series that's coming out on July 24th, actually, called Inside Intimacy on Soul Pancake. <laughs> Thank you. And one of the episodes was about cheating. And when I did research on cheating to make sure I had good questions, um, I watched all these TED Talks about cheating. And it was really interesting because a lot of what I learned was that there's this idea in culture that only people in unhappy relationships cheat, but actually people in happy relationships cheat all the time as well. And they were saying, well, why would people in happy relationships cheat? And there was all these different reasons. And one of them said that oftentimes when a major death happens in someone's life, they cheat because death is so intense and it brings up all these ideas of like, what am I missing? What is the point da, 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 that people just go off and do these like wild things. So it's kind of interesting that that's sort of reflected in this episode. It's like death all of a sudden puts things in perspective and you're like, what am I doing? How am I? I think death is actually really healthy to think about. Um, they have death meditations. I've done them before. And the idea is if you think about death, like often the opposite effect, it's not macabre. It really helps you 
think about your life. And like, if you think about death every day and really like really feel the fact that you are definitely going to die, I think it kind of realigns you constantly with like, am I living the life I want? Is there things that I'm doing? Like, sure. If you don't think about death, you can kind of piss your life away because you're not really taking it seriously because it feels like you have limitless amount of time. But when you really understand that this is it, this day is the day and it could end at any moment, I think it kind of can help you stay on track for what you want to accomplish. Because even when I like froze my eggs, it made me think about dying for some reason. And it made me think like, There are things I really want to do that I have not done yet, that if I died today, I would not feel that I had done. Mm. Do you have any of those things? Oh, totally. I think that um, thinking in sort of existential terms can be viewed as uh, dark and depressing. And I also think it can be viewed as um, a reality check. And I think that it can be really uplifting because it teaches you to like be more in the moment and uh, yeah. And, and really make decisions from your gut and not from a place of obligation. I agree. I mean, they've done studies like hospice workers have done s- studies that like the biggest regret of the dying is that they weren't able to be their true selves. That's the biggest regret of the dying. And it's like just checking in with it. Jamie, what do you feel like you really want to accomplish before you die that would make you feel like this would make me feel like pretty good? Um, I don't think I think in those terms. I don't think in terms of what I want to accomplish before I die because what if you don't? And that just feels like a little... Yeah, it's like then your whole life was a waste. Yeah, that's well, not that it, doesn't feel I don't think that you I think that maybe the point is that I don't think you should divi- define your life by your accomplishments. Oh, I agree. Jamie, yeah, I don't think that's a healthy way to do things. This is what I think for myself. I think that being your most you, I think I want to die and live my life and get at the end of the, my life and say I was me. I was my most me instead of like, you know, a very black and white example would be if you were gay and you never came out and you went to the end of your life and you weren't truly yourself. But there's a lot of versions of that that aren't just that. Like, were you honest with your family? Were you honest with yourself? Were you honest with your work? Like, yeah, I think that's that feels like a really good way to approach it. It also feels attainable. Yeah. It's just like, can you be your most you? And I think that's hard. I, I think it's a tall order, actually, because I think society and all the rules kind of train us not to be ourselves. And I think your family trains you not to be yourself. People are always telling you what you should do and who you should be. But I think literally just doing what you like and being who you are is like a radical act. It is. Yeah. And it's really scary. And most people don't choose the scary path. No, but I think you're choosing it. I thanks. I, I mean, uh, you're, you're, you're a standup. That's a huge, that's yeah, taking the radical path. I think that I, I, th- I would say that I feel like I've accomplished what I want to accomplish because I, um, I went after the thing that I cared about. So that to me feels that, I mean, it doesn't mean that there aren't levels of that and there isn't more I want to do within it, but I do feel like, okay, well at least I wasn't spinning your wheels. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I love it. Um, okay. So, uh, that brings us to the end of the episode. We end every episode, um, you know, because Sex in the City is obviously a very horny show. Uh, we end it by sharing what we're currently horny for. Rose, what are you horny for right now? Um, I hope I didn't say this or one of us said this before. If so, I'll do a new one. But I'm horny for Big Little Lies. Have we done that I yet? don't think so. Okay. Um, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you like really juicy female-centric narratives. There is not a juicier more fun TV show about a group of women 
right now than Big Little Lies. It is not a comedy. It's a drama. But there is a lot of funny moments. And actually, earlier in the episode, we were talking about how we want to see a show about people like Shippy Shipman that yeah. are like ruling the school. Yeah. That is this it show. It is close. Yeah. And the performances, it's the kind of the show West where... The West Coast version of, uh, of you yeah. know, an elite pod of women. Yeah. And like the performances are... I mean, it's the best living actresses of our time. It's Laura Dern. It's fucking Meryl Streep. It's Reese Witherspoon, who, guess what, is up there with all those people. Nicole Kidman. And I also think the show, you know, as a writer, you're always watching stuff on two levels. You're watching it on just a fun popcorn level, and then you're watching it on a how can I take stuff from this and do it in my work. And the best thing that they do on that show is they take characters that could be villains or could be uh, one dimensional. Oh, she's superficial. Oh, she doesn't care about this. And they give them a whole life like Laura Dern's character. You could say, oh, all she cares about money and she just cares about status. And then you find out that she grew up super fucking poor and she earned every dollar she had. And you're like, OK, I get why money is a traumatic thing that you need to hold on to. Oh, so my God. Her, my favorite line is when she's like, I will not not be rich. I was like, that is fucking genius. It's the definition of camp. But the so reason that amazing. the show is so good is it's camp but there's also a lot of heart and it's weirdly grounded so get thee to this show it's on hbo and it's it's one of the best shows on right now okay what are you uh uh, what what are you horny for this week? oh man it is so goofy okay so there is this place this is going to be an la one um so if anyone visits here hopefully this speaks to you in some capacity but uh there's this place in silver lake that i've passed so many times called yoga urt it's it's like I don't even understand because they don't do yoga at the yogurt store. It's just called yoga dash ert. And I drove by it so many times and I was like, what the actual fuck is that? That's so ridiculous. I, the name is stressful to say. Like, I don't understand the business model. Turns out it's just a non-dairy, all-vegan yogurt place. And I happened to go to an engagement party across the street from there this weekend. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, like, go in and, like, Girl, you went to get, yoga my, get my yoga urt on. And it was <laughs> so delicious. They only had, like, six flavors. And What flavor did Dan you get? Got, I got pistachio. Dan got, like, a strawberry. But it was very creamy and delicious. And, uh, yeah, a big shout-out. And sorry that I was so cynical. Also, hilarious tidbit. So all of their toppings look a little off because they're all like <laughs> natural toppings. It's like flax. It is. No, no, no. It's not like-, like flax. That's actually one of the toppings. That's so funny. Um, but then they also had this uh, little, whatever, container of all purple sprinkles. And also, I go, who wants a purple sprinkle? I just go, what? I go, what are those? And she goes, they're just purple sprinkles. And I was like, <laughs> Okay, not like I thought they were oob flavored or something or like taro. Like I thought there was a reason they were purple. She's like, no, 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 those are just purple sprinkles. It's called food dye, bitch. Like, welcome to America. But also, why that color? And they have all these other sort of natural toppings. So it was just very odd to be like, and those are our purple sprinkles. (laughs) No explanation. They're just purple because they're purple. This story is like making everyone in the studio laugh right now, which is really funny. This just goes testament to Jamie as a storyteller. It's just like, this is such a silly story. Also, I think there's something with the suffix "ert" that is really un. un it's not a great sound. Well, because there's a restaurant in my neighborhood called Cougart. Oh, I know. I'm, it, I'm in your neighborhood. I'm well aware of right. Cougart. Well, I've never gone, and my friend said they have great kebabs. And I'm like, I just can't. Dan orders from there, and I'm like, listen get to me, out Jamie. Of our house. It's I disgusting. Can't use my legs to walk there. It just the "ert" gets me. 
Yeah. Uh, so I guess I'm horny for Ert is my point. You We're, know what, Jenny? Uh, Wait deeply like, horny for Ert. Look beyond, you know, look beyond the book's cover to go into the juicy yoga Ert inside. Yoga Ert. Jamie, I'm horny for you today and every day. Oh, my God. Feeling is mute. Okay. Also, guys, sometimes we just say this and it might be annoying, but please, 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 please go on to iTunes. Not only give us five stars, but write a little something, something. It makes a huge difference. If we get enough giant reviews, who knows? Maybe we'd be on the front page of iTunes or something. And And also, we read your reviews. We really like the feedback. And that's a really great organized way for us to see the feedback. It's a one-stop shop for us. And uh, we really appreciate you guys caring enough to give the feedback. So please keep doing it if you haven't done it yet. Give us a little shout out. Tell us tell us what you're thinking about the pod. We love you. We love you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Couldn't Help a Wonder. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at chbwpod. And follow my co-host Rose Cerno on Insta and Twitter at Rose Cerno. And please follow my co-host Jamie at Really Jamie Lee on Instagram and at The Jamie Lee on Twitter. And please rate, review, subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. If you're nasty, it helps us. It helps you. It helps everyone. You're nasty. Bye. Bye. Forever. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Engineered by Chelsea Jacobson and mastered by Anna Rubinova. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook. Ew.